Blog Talk Radio. Alrighty, we want to say greetings to everyone. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Brother Hawk Bolden, and we're grateful to the Lord to be able to come before you and uh, share with you uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart to share uh, today. So today we're going to talk about something I feel really pressed uh, that the Lord wants us to talk about, and. Uh, I understand that there there are a lot of people who uh, may watch this ministry or may have started watching this ministry, even people that have have been a part of this ministry for quite some time. And uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me that people can really feel like God has led them to this ministry. Uh, have led them to either follow this ministry or be a part of this ministry, however they want to word it, and they feel like they can uh, still pick and choose what it is that they want to follow, or they they feel like uh, just, you know, that they can, there's some things that they don't agree with, and then there are some things that they uh, do agree with, but I, I feel like if the Lord send you to be a part of a ministry or if the Lord himself tell you to be a part of a ministry, then uh, we need to make sure that we are following uh, what the Lord want us to follow in that ministry and not think that we can pick and choose uh, just because uh, something don't sit right with us. Now, God's word is true all day long. And just because something is not sitting right with us does not negate uh, the word of God. And so I think we need to, uh, I think that we need to make it clear that uh, when God speaks to us, when God uh, deals with us in his word, that if whatever God says is the truth, and if we have a problem with whatever it is that God's word says, then that's our problem, and we need to try to figure out uh, what we can do to line up with God's word instead of uh, trying to negate whatever it is that the Lord have, have is given us in his word instead of trying to disprove it or just not accept it. Because whenever, if we don't accept what God's word says, then that, that means that we're in trouble spiritually, and it's not God's will. It's God's will that we follow that we follow with our whole heart what it is that God wants us to follow in his word. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the case for perfection. And and so what we mean when we say the case, you know, meaning we're going to build a case of, of concerning what God's word says about perfection. Because we, again, now we, this is one of those things. We have people who have come to be a part of this ministry and wherever they may have come from, they never heard that it was that it was um, possible to be perfect. And uh, they've even heard preachers say from the pulpit that uh, nobody's perfect. And so many people, uh, they discourage themselves because when they come to God, they come to God defeated. And then when they um, 
when they accept the lie of nobody's perfect, then they continue to live a defeated life. And so that's what causes a lot of people to go right back into the uh, lifestyle that they were living before because they really have not accepted the idea that we can be perfect. Now, I think it's a shame that even today that we're living in an age where just about anybody can get their hands on the Bible and can read what we what we see there in the book of Matthew where Jesus tells us to be perfect, and he tells us how to be perfect. It says, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So to be, we're supposed to be perfect like that, to have that perfection going on just like our Father, God himself, is perfect. And so this is not saying to be perfect like your brother or your sister. In other words, it, you know, in comparison to them, it's telling us to be perfect like God is perfect. And it is possible. It is possible to be perfect. Now, we also read in the Bible where there was there were men who the Bible says was perfect and upright before the Lord, and that was uh, Job. God told Abraham to walk perfect for him. Uh, all through the Bible, it tells us about men who were perfect, who who were blameless, and all of these things. And so, if the Bible tells us that, then Shouldn't we, number one, accept it? You know, how can we argue against what the word says, you see? And so I know that there are people who, who, uh, who even that are part of this ministry, who has a problem with the idea of being perfect. But I'm telling you, and, and this is God uh, trying to reach out to you, trying to get you to see, really trying to help you in your understanding uh, and so that you don't, just get turned over to a reprobate mind that he means what he says in his word, that if he tells us as as believers to be perfect, then he intends for us to be perfect. Now, uh, in fact, let's go real quick. We'll go to the book of Hebrews. I think it's the, the uh, 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read something uh, that used to be uh, – I, I used to uh, quote this as the benediction whenever I was dismissed. And so the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to start reading. Uh, we're going to start reading at verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to pay attention to what verse 21 says. It tells us that the God of peace, in verse 20 and then on to 21, he's the one that makes us perfect, and not in some areas, not in some instances that I'm still struggling in other instances. Look what he says, perfect in every good work to do his will. You see that? God makes us perfect. Now, the question is, are we willing to accept that perfection from him? And are we willing to accept uh, the work that he's doing in us, is what this says, working in you, that which is well-pleasing in his sight. So are we willing to accept uh, God working in us to make us perfect, or is it really the issue, is the, uh, is the real issue 
that we don't, there are things in the world that we don't want to give up, that there are some things that we can't let go of, or there's a price that we are not willing to pay. Now, I feel like this now. If we're going to be believers, let's be all the way in it, or let's not be in it at all. If you can't accept God's word, if you don't want to be perfect, then you don't want to be saved. You see that? Again, I know that there are people that have a problem with God's word, but that's just what it is. It is a problem, and it will be a problem for you because later on down the road, you'll find yourself uh, living the same raggedy life that you were living before you gave your life to the Lord, and it's not God's will. God intends for you, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to call yourself a believer, then God intends for you to to walk the walk that he, he has commanded us to walk. And so this tells us in the book of Hebrews that God makes us perfect in every good work. God makes us perfect. You see that? But I'm going to tell you, God does not violate free will, and he can't go beyond what we believe. You see that? So if we call ourselves believers, let's believe God's word. So also, uh, now let's go to the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start reading at verse 11. And before, but before we do that, let, let's get into something real quick. If we accept the fact or the lie that we can't live without sin, then there are a few other things that we have to accept. One of those things is this. Now, but when we were living out in the world, if we have really gotten saved, when we were living out in the world, we could look back on our lives and we could see how Satan was operating in our life, uh, exactly how uh, we were being used by the devil. We can see also, you know, and the, one of the reasons why we even come to God to begin with is because we need salvation and we realize that we were helpless, that we were bound by sin. Now, we know that. Now, you know, now if you haven't come to that conclusion that you were bound by sin, if you still under the under the uh, illusion that you could control sin, that you could do what you want to do, and any time you wanted to stop sinning, you could, then salvation don't mean anything to you. Salvation is for those that realized that they were sinners and that they were living in sin and that there was nothing they could do about it except come to God, that they, they had no control over the sin in their lives. Now, that's what, that's what salvation is for. For those people that realized they had no control, that they had, they at one time maybe they thought they could control it, but at some point they, they got to a place where they wanted to stop and couldn't stop, that's who salvation is for. And so when you uh, come to the Lord, you have to realize that you had no power over sin, that Satan had you bound, that he had his grips on you, and the only thing that could get him to loosen his grip on you is God himself, that you're coming to the Lord for salvation. You're coming to the Lord for help. Now, when, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary uh, and Joseph, he told uh, uh, them that, he would, that his name would be called Jesus because he would save uh, his people from their sins. And so that's basically what the name Jesus means. When we call ourselves Christians, then that's what we are ascribing to, the idea that we are saved. His name literally means Jehovah saves. Now, Jehovah saves us from what? 
You see, if we're going to say that we're saved, we have to have some, some, um, something out there that we're saved from. You can't just say that you're saved. You have to know what you're saved from. And so what are we saved from? Well, the angels, it ain't what, he was, what the Lord was going to save us from. He was going to save us from our sins. In other words, call us out of them, get us out of them, and, and release the power, break the power of sin in our lives. So when we come to the Lord, we know that we're lost. We know that we are hopeless. We know that outside of him, there is no help, that we are bound and there's nothing we can do about it. And so from that, we understand the power that Satan had in our lives, that we could not fight against him on our own and that we could not break free and live a good life or a perfect life or break free from the things that had us bound, that we could not break free from those things. And so we understand that. And so we knew, we know uh, the power of the devil that he had in our lives. Now, if we don't realize that, then the power of God means nothing, you see that, to us. And so if we don't understand the grip that Satan had on us before we came to God, then we have no reason to really even come to God. And that's, so, that's one of the things that preachers have to preach. The power that Satan had over you, that's what makes people give their lives to the Lord, is when you preach it to them, when you Show them their sin and show them how they're bound by it. Now, one of the deceiving things, if you've ever known a drug addict, one of the the, the uh, deceiving things that drug addicts have have in their mind, some of them, is the fact that they can control their habit. And a lot of them think that because they are what they call functioning drug addicts, in other words, are recreational drug users, in other words, I only use it sometimes, uh, they'll never know that they have a problem. So the first thing they have to realize is that they have a problem and that they can't break uh, that cycle in their life, you know, which is why they're always doing it. And so you have to convince them of that before they're willing to accept help. And and that's what the preacher does uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He convinces the sinner that you're a sinner, but you're not a sinner uh, that can control sin. Uh, you're a sinner because sin has a grip on your life, you see. And so you, you explain to them the power of sin that's over their lives. And then after you explain that to them, then you explain the power of God. And so one of the things that people have to accept, and so because we went through all of that to prove this point, one of the things that people have to accept, if they accept the lie that you can't live without sin, then they also have to accept the lie that Satan is more powerful than God. Why? Because when you were out in the world, Satan had authority. He had power over you. Uh, sin had power over you, and you could not break free from it. And so it does not make sense that you would call on a God to to serve, to save you, but that God is not more powerful than the things in your life that need to be broken, the sin in your life that need to be broken. You see that? And so if you accept that lie, that you can't live without sin, that you can't be perfect, then you've also given more power to Satan than uh, you've accredited to God. In other words, basically what you're saying is, yeah, the devil had me when I was out in the world, and even though I've given my life to God, he still has me. That's not God's will. You see that? And so we're trying to make, make it make sense to you. Do not accept that lie. That, that you can't live without sin. You can live without sin. And, again, I'll challenge anyone 
You tell me what sin it is in your life that you just can't live without. What name is one sin that God can't break in your life, that God does not have power over in your life, you see that, and that God hasn't given you the ability to overcome, you see that. And if you can name me that sin, then I'll tell you, go find a God that can. Because maybe, just maybe, the problem is that you have not surrendered to God, or maybe you're serving some other God and just calling him by the name of Jesus. You see that? But I'm going to tell you, the Jesus that I serve, I'm speaking from experience. He can break the power of sin in your life, if you, especially if you have a made-up mind to serve God with all of your heart. You see that? Because of that, if people accept that lie, that you can't live without sin, and they confess, you know, and they, and they believe, you know, really, because that's what they believe, that Satan is more powerful than God. The other thing that happens in that, is people will become complacent, and they will become lazy in their walk with God. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you accept the lie, you accepted a lie that you can't be perfect, that you can't live without sin, that you're just going to make mistakes and you're going to keep falling and all of that. If you accept that lie, then you're just like a person who's running a race that they can't win. Now, if you ran track, you've ever played a sport, and you start off from day one, you know, playing the game or running or whatever it is that you're doing, and you're told from the jump you can't win, then what motivation will you have in even playing or running or doing whatever it is you're doing? You you are running a race, hoping to cross the finish line and hoping that you can win. You're playing whatever game you're playing, basketball, football, or whatever. You, would you even sit down and watch a game, you know, what, whatever your favorite sport may be? Would you even sit down and watch a game knowing all along, all along that it's going to be a tie and that neither team can win? Or would you even watch a game where you feel like the, your favorite team, there's no way they can win, that they're going to always lose, and, you know, and you know that without a shadow of a doubt? No. So you would get complacent. Pretty soon you wouldn't want to even watch the game. You know, if you already know the outcome, you know your team is just not going to win at all. And so here's the idea. If you accept the lie that you can't be perfect, that you can't live without sin, then you've also accepted defeat in your life. You don't even have a mind to pray to God and ask God to help you to deliver you from certain things because, after all, it's just been there all along. God's not, you know, God hasn't moved yet. He's not. I don't believe in perfection. You see that? Here's the other mindset, another mindset. Does it do us any good? Now, here's the thing about it. <laughs> it, it does not, what is the purpose of a preacher? Because preachers have even gotten up and have preached this and have drilled at home so many unsuspecting people. Does it do us any good as believers and as preachers to get up and preach against any sin and then turn right around and say, we can't live without sin? If we, if we can't live without sin, then what is the purpose of preaching against any of it? How can we even rightfully judge sin? How can we tell people, uh, not to sin or not to do certain things 
you know, if they're just going to fall anyway. You see that? Now, that's for preachers. How can preachers preach against anything if they don't believe that you can be perfect? It makes no sense that you would get on people, that you would preach against adultery or preach against certain things and then just let the rest of it fly in like, you know what, we can't help it. We're going to sin anyway. So if the idea is, is this, if we're going to sin, we don't get to pick and choose. If we accept the lie that we're going to sin, that nobody's perfect, then we we would be hypocrites if we thought we could pick and choose which sins we wanted to condemn and look down on. It's amazing to me that people will say, well, nobody's perfect. You know, you know we, we all sin. We all fall short. And, you know, we're going to all fall. We're going to all sin. Ain't nobody's perfect. They'll say that with their mouth, and then with that same tongue, condemn a preacher that has fallen into adultery. Condemn Christians. You see that? Condemn people that 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 <laughs> have fallen into something that displeases them. You're a hypocrite if you think that you can't live without sin and then with that same mouth and that same mind convince yourself that somebody's just way lost somewhere because they sinned or because they've fallen. Many of you, you get married. Some of you that are not married yet, you want to be married, but you want to be married to a person that's going to be faithful. And if they're not faithful to you, you're going to express it. You're going to have a problem with it. Some of you, maybe you've been in relationships, maybe you've been married where your spouse has cheated on you or your significant other has cheated on you. Why would you feel bad about that? Why would you condemn that behavior if you've accepted the fact that we're just all going to sin? We're just all sinners. We're all sinners. There ain't nobody, nobody's perfect. So, you see, if you're going to be that way, then you have to be that way across the board. But, see, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's something in you. It's something in your nature that lets you know that something's wrong with sin. But the problem is you've had that lie drilled into you for so long that you really believe, hey, nobody can live without sin except (laughs) when somebody sinned against you. You know that you're ready to fly off the handle. Well, where's the grace at? If you got grace for it today, have grace for it tomorrow when it's committed against you. You see that? And so that's what the Bible means when it says, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, let love be without hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite. If you condemn, if you with your mouth say that you can't live without sin, if you with your mouth say nobody's perfect, and then turn around and condemn somebody for not being perfect. And then turn around and condemn somebody for being in sin. You, if you really believe that nobody can live without sin, if you really believe that nobody's perfect, you ought to be one of the most patient people in the world. Shouldn't nobody be able to do anything to get under your skin? After all, nobody's perfect. And so then these same people who, who I, I'm talking to Christians now. I'm not talking to worldly people. I'm talking to Christians. These same people will excuse the sin of some and then condemn the sin of others. And that's not God's will. The word also. Now, uh, again, another thing. If we accept the fact that nobody can live without sin, that there's nobody perfect, 
The Bible tells us very plainly in the book of Hebrews that if we if we uh willfully sin, in fact, let's go there. Uh the book of Hebrews Uh, the tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading at verse twenty six. Tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews verse twenty six, and says, "For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins." In other words, if we are doing things that we know that we should not do, we we already know it's wrong. But And so if we've come into the knowledge of the truth, in other words, we've calling ourselves surrendering to God, and we still sinning and doing those things that we know are not right, the Bible tells us that there remain no more sacrifice of sin. In other words, you pay for what you're willfully doing. Now, let me make this clear. After you come to the Lord and you sinning, you're willfully doing that. You see that? So this tells us, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Now, that scripture in and of itself lets us know that after we've sinned and we've willfully done it, you ain't no coming to God to repent about it. Ain't no coming to God and laying that on, on the Lord's back. It, it's on you now. You know better. Whereas before, you might not have known better before you gave your life to the Lord. But after you've come into the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, what what God did on the cross for us that that does not apply to our willful sinning. You see that? <clears throat> but look at what it says, verse twenty seven. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment support suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You know what that's saying, man? If somebody says that it is impossible to live without sin, if somebody says that they can't be perfect, then you know what they're also saying? That they are, they have accepted the idea of always being under the judgment of God. God judges willful sin. And so for you to say and uh, for you to accept the lie that you can't be perfect, that you cannot uh, uh, live without sin, you're also accepting the idea of always living under the judgment of God always living under fear, always living in fear. You've accepted that. Maybe that's why so many Christians today operate in fear. That's, maybe that's why so many Christians today living live in fear. Why? Because you've accepted the lie that nobody can live without sin, that nobody's perfect. And so if God is righteous and if God sticks with his word, that means that we're always looking for judgment some kind of way. That's why that fear is there, brothers and sisters. And so it's not God's will for you to accept that lie. You can live without sin. You can be perfect. And and God, if you allow God to work on the inside of you, 
He can make you perfect to do every, to every good work. But you, first of all, have to drop that lie, have to get rid of that false doctrine that you've accepted. You can be perfect. It is God's intention to show his power and mercy through you. It is God's intention to show his grace through you. What grace? The grace that he gives you to live according to his word. What is the use in reading God's word and following God's word if we're not going to live it? If we could not live without sin, if we were just going to be the same old dirty rascals we were before we got saved, then there would be no need for a Bible. There would be no need for us to gather uh, in, in the sanctuary. There would be no need to even have a relationship with Jesus at all. You see that? If we were just going to be the same old dirty people. And if we were born because we've accepted that, if we've accepted, well, nobody's, you know, nobody's perfect, then what would be the use in even trying? Let's just all just go out and live just as big and bad as we want to be. Let, let's just all go out and live the way we want to live. If, if we've accepted the lie that nobody can be perfect. What's the use in striving for it? God don't tell us to strive. In other words, let's just try. What's the use in trying if you can't get there? No, you can get there. If you have a made-up mind, if you uh, completely sold out to God, you can get there, and that's God's will. Amen. We want to say thank you all for joining us today. Uh, we pray that something was said that would be a blessing to you. And we look forward to sharing more of God's word with you in the future. Have a blessed day.